How would you respond to God talking with you for the first time? How would you react if you sensed his presence? H.G. Wells was no friend of the faith, but uh, he wrote an article in the New Yorker in which he told about an Episcopalian bishop that he knew. And uh, this bishop would uh, become very pious when someone would come and ask for his advice. He would talk about God, and he would say, pray about it. And that seemed to satisfy them. But he never prayed much because his life was very good. He didn't think he had a need to pray. But one day his life came apart and he decided that he would take his own advice. So on Saturday afternoon he went into the cathedral, acted very pious, got on his knees, thought how childlike he was, and he started to pray, oh God, and he heard God's voice. What is it? The next day, the worshipers came and they found him flat on the floor, dead, and his face was had a horrible look of bewilderment. H.G. Wells, who was not a man of faith, was actually saying, there are folks who talk a lot about God who would be scared to death if they saw him face to face. The children of Israel had such an experience. In the wilderness on Mount Sinai, God spoke to the whole congregation with a loud voice, and he gave them his Ten Commandments. Listen to how they responded in Exodus 20, 18-21. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning, the flashes of light, the sound of a trumpet, and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, and Moses went into the darkness where God was. When God speaks to anyone, he does not do it to intimidate or to distress, but to demonstrate his love. And Moses said, God has appeared this way so that you would fear his greatness and his might, his power, so that you would not sin. But God still speaks, but in a gentle voice. The children of Israel misjudged God's intention. Listen to an exhortation from David in Psalm 95, verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion and in a day of trial in the wilderness. When God spoke to Elijah, who had fled from Jezebel, and he was in the mountain alone, 
and God came but did not appear in the fire or the windstorm or the earthquake. But then he heard a gentle voice. And you know that experience in which God said to him, you're not the only prophet left in Israel. I have reserved 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal nor kissed his image. I remember the day God spoke to me for the first time, but he spoke in a very gentle and kind word. And you know, now I'm 88. I never thought I'd live this long. This is an amazing thing. And uh, I'm in, uh, Lee and I are in this senior citizens, I don't know what you call it, it's like a hotel. (laughs) But you know, most of the people there are in their late 80s and 90s. The most of them are believers. It's a Mennonite uh, place. And I've seen the sorrows that they went through, they go through. But you know, they take it with such courage. They're so strong in the Lord because when God spoke to them years ago, he left an impression of his love. And they, the one thing I, it's given me a ministry of praying with people, encouraging them. But you know, they encourage me. You know, uh, God loves to reveal himself to those who are willing to listen. Our scripture text today is Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 10, in which God revealed his glory to Isaiah, the prophet. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphims. They were angelic uh, angels. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. The glory of God. It's a text of, this is what I'm speaking about, understanding the glory of God. 
The glory of God cannot be defined with a simple sentence because it reflects his character and his works. There's so much about God of wonderful that it will be all eternity we'll learn more and more of the glory of God. For example, there is the glory of his grace, the glory of his loving kindness, the glory of his mercy, the glory of his justice, the glory of his almighty power, and many other things that glorify God that we have yet to discover. Now, our text of uh, Isaiah 6, I found four characteristics of God that bring him glory. The glory of his majesty, the glory of his creation, the glory of his redemption, the glory of his service. So let's look at these. First, there is the glory of his majesty. In verse 6 of our text, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The good King Uzziah died, and it was uncertain who would take his place. An evil king would bring trouble to the land and release the wrath of God. We are living in dangerous days today that can stress us out with fear if we get our eyes off of the Lord. But you know, every age has had its difficulties. During the Civil War in the United States, President Abraham Lincoln remained steadfast in his faith, even when General Robert E. Lee led his army of 76,000 men into Pennsylvania. Later he explained to the wounded at Gettysburg, when everyone seemed panic-stricken, I went to my room, got down on my knees before Almighty God and prayed. Soon a sweet comfort crept into my soul that God Almighty had taken the whole business into his own hands. Have you ever experienced that in prayer? You're in trouble, you have a trial of life, a disaster has happened, you get on your knees before God, and you have the comfort of the Lord that God will take care of it. God is on the throne, and he has the ultimate say in the affairs of humanity. Do you remember the story of King Nebuchadnezzar, that great king of Babylon? He was a very proud man. He looked over his Babylon and he said, I did this by my own power, by my own might. And God struck him down, transformed his mind into the mind of an animal. He lost his reason. After the time of his affliction was recovered, and when God restored his reason, Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel 4, 34-35. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? 
I believe we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. He came to understand the greatness of God. But we're living in perilous times today. Have, how many of you have seen the 60 Minutes last Sunday? But there was an episode there where a reporter was allowed on the uh, atomic attack submarine, the Kentucky, and he was shown that they had 200 atomic missiles ready to fire within minutes that would destroy 200 city areas of the world. The United States has over 1,000 missiles ready to be released within minutes at the command of the President of the United States. Russia has as many or more missiles, atomic missiles. They are now already ready to go. They are all programmed for certain cities of the world. And if atomic war would take place, all life would be destroyed. All civilization would be over. We need not fear because God is on the throne. Nothing can happen without his knowledge and approval. And you know, uh, the God who spoke the word and the universe came into existence can instantaneously transform the atomic missiles in flight into harmless toys. Just transform them into harmless toys. God has a plan for humanity's future. God promised the dominion of the world to his son in Psalm 2, verse 7 to 8. So we don't have to be afraid. God has a plan. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Almighty God will not allow this world to perish until his prophetic plan is completed. So we don't have to be afraid. If we get a glimpse of the glory of the majesty of God, high and lifted up on the throne of the universes. He is our, our Lord and our God. Secondly, there is the glory of his creation. In verse 3 of Isaiah 6, God is surrounded by angels, seraphims, who declare the glory of the Lord. They said the whole earth is full of his glory. On Christmas Day in 1968, the three astronauts on Apollo 8 circled the dark side of the moon and headed for home. Suddenly they saw the earth, how brilliant that earth was because the sun was shining on it. Those sophisticated men were trained in science and technology, but they did not utter Einstein's name. They did not even go to the poets or the philosophers. Only one thing would capture the wonderful, thrilling moment of that observation. They said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, nature, if you really understand, if you have eyes to see the mysteries of the kingdom of God, you would see the glory of God. Some years ago, I led a woman to the Lord, 
her husband was a PhD in botany. So I visited them and I asked Russ if he would be willing to accept Jesus like his wife. He said, well, she's not an educated woman. I'm a scientist. I don't take anything by faith. I said, oh, is that right? Well, what about us having an experiment? You're used to experimenting as a botanist. He said, sure. I said, well, can I pray a prayer on your behalf and say, oh God, if you exist, would you show it to me? He said, okay, we'll do that. A few months later, he came to my office and he shouted, I know there's a God. I know there's a God. I know there's a God. <laughs> he said it three times. I said, how do you know? He said, I was studying desert flowers. And I looked at the order and the beauty of these flowers. And it hit me like an express train. There is a God. There is a creator. But is this God the God of the New Testament? I said, well, let's ask him. <laughs> God can answer it. And he became an enthusiastic believer. God will reveal himself to those who are willing to seek him. God gave my friend eyes that could see and a heart that could believe. Listen to God's promise in Jeremiah 29, 12, and 14. Notice these references are in the Jewish Bible, the Tanakh. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. See, God is glorified through his creation. I never argue with atheists. I just tell them, deep down in your heart, I believe you know there's a God. Are you willing to listen to him? Are you willing to open your heart to him? And I've seen God do some wonderful things. So God is glorified through his majesty, his power, his sovereignty, and he is glorified through his creation. He created the heavens and the earth, just speaking the word. That's why I'm not afraid of a nuclear war. God knows that he has a plan. Thirdly, there's the glory of his redemption. A redemption begins with seeing the glory of God's holiness. When you walk in the light, as he is in the light, we see ourselves. And one angel, verse 3, cried to another angel and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, when we see God's holiness, we have a glimpse of it. We will also experience the shame of our unholiness. Pastor John Piper, I gave this to you at one time, defines sin well. He asked the question, what is sin? It is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not revered, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not favored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God 
not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. That is sin. That's quite a list. (laughs) It makes us all wonder about ourselves, which is not a bad thing. In fact, listen to what happened to Isaiah the prophet when he heard of the holiness of God. Verse 5, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. When you see the righteousness of God and your own unrighteousness, it's natural to feel that you're in trouble because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He expected divine judgment. Well, he stood helpless. You know, um, I realized that when I made mistakes or I did things that were not right or I didn't do things that I should have done, I can't go back. I can't undo those misbehaviors. In that sense, we're helpless. Isaiah realized that he could do nothing about his own behavior. But God made a way of redemption. Listen to verse 6 of our text. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken from the altar, representative of the Spirit of God, who is a holy fire, consumes away sin. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Isaiah confessed his sin. That's all he could do. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. He admitted it. God forgave him and cleansed him from his unholiness. This is what our Lord does for us. When I came to the Lord, the pastor gave me a verse that I have been so glad for all my life. Now John, the apostle, was a beloved apostle. And here he was, an older man, and he wrote this to the church. Listen to this. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, admit them. Lord, you know this is what I've done, or I should have done something better. I didn't do it. We admit our sins, we confess them, because as we walk in the light of God's presence, he shows us what is wrong with us, and we admit it. Then, here's the good news. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's faithful to us as our Savior, and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, make an alibis, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. You can depend the faithfulness of Jesus. I thought I would be perfect by the time I was 30 years old, but it didn't happen. Then I thought, well, when I'm 40, or when I'm 50, when I'm 60, when I'm 70, When I'm 80, I'm almost 80 another month. But I'm not perfect. I'm better than I was, but I'm certainly not perfect. 
And I find this verse is a blessing to me. He loves to forgive our sins. And the reason he can be just and forgive our sins is because he paid for them on the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. So we don't depend on ourselves. We depend on him no matter how old we are. Our salvation is by his grace. You might as well admit your sin because God knows all about it anyway. But when you admit it, you submit to the authority and the love of Jesus. So God is glorified in his majesty, his sovereignty, his power. God is glorified in his in creation and God is glorified in redeeming us with his precious blood. Fourthly, there's the glory of his service. We are redeemed to serve him. And it's not a useless life as a believer. You know, I love to pray with people even today when I'm in a place where people are suffering and to be able to comfort them with the prayer of, of comfort and encouragement. Now, the Lord said, or Isaiah said, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for me? Then I said, here am I, send me. Are you willing to say that to the Lord? Here I am, Lord. Send me. God does not force people into his service. He calls for volunteers. When I was 15 years old, I realized I had very little to offer to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I know that you've called some very intelligent young people into your service much better looking than me. But some of them have turned you down. I volunteer to take one of their places, Lord. And the Lord heard me because I can look back and see how God used a very limited person. Let me tell you of an experience I had in Poland. I probably told you this before, but I only have so many illustrations from my my life. And it... You may have forgotten it anyway, who knows? I'm in the forgetful age. Anyway, Campus Crusade invited me to go to Poland and speak to university students from Russia, from Belarus, from Ukraine, from Lithuania. And I thought, well, what am I going to say to them for a week? Uh, Should I give them sermons on apologetics? And I thought, uh, they'd been taught to be atheists when they were children, from kindergarten on to the university. They were instructed in atheism. But I said, no, I'm going to share the word of God, and I'm going to tell them about my personal life and experiences. There were about 300 there. And uh, after a couple of days, the young people warmed up to us and said, oh, I wish we had grandparents like you that would have taught us about God. And another question they asked me is, you mean that God can speak to us? I said, yeah, if you're willing willing to listen. 
He will speak to you if you seek for him. Well, at the end of the program, I said, how many of you have made a decision for Jesus this week? And over 200 hands were raised. Well, if God could use a limited person like me, he can use anybody. And you know, uh, when I got home, I had an email from one of the workers of Campus Crusade. He said, one of the young ladies that, let, what, you, that came to the Lord under your ministry came back to the University of Moscow and led three of her young uh, roommates to Jesus. I thought, wow, you know, the glory belongs to God, but the joy of serving the Lord is what God grants to us. Serving the Lord is the best life you could possibly have, being a servant of Jesus. But serving God was not meant to be easy. Listen to verse 9. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. See, the Lord wants to heal people. In fact, I find that those who do not know the Lord are in this category. So I never argue with atheists trying to answer all their objections. I just share the gospel. Go and tell these people people that don't see, don't hear, don't perceive. And I've seen the Lord do some mighty things. The early church leader, Augustine, was once confronted by a heathen who showed him his idol and said, Here is my God, where is yours? Augustine replied, I cannot show you my God, not because there is no God to show, but because you have no eyes to see him. So our commission is to go and, go and tell them the story of the good news of the Lord Jesus. One of the mistakes I made as a young pastor and a missionary was I would conclude that some people were hopeless. I was in Indian Lake, uh, New York. And I was introduced to a Jewish man there, and all he wanted to do was argue with me. But I shared the message. I said, well, let me share you what I believe. But I thought, this is an impossible situation. I gave up on him. A few years later, one of the workers of Chosen People was in Boston. This Messianic Jew came to him after the service, said, do you know Al Ranji? He said, yeah. Tell him I was the Jew in Indian Lake. And I've accepted the Lord. I thought, wow, just tell the story of the Lord. We cannot predict success, but we can do the will of God. And that's the important thing. So in this sixth chapter of Isaiah, God had demonstrated his glory. You know, the Jewish prophet conveyed God's promise in Isaiah 55, verse 11 and 12. 
so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led with peace. Don't underestimate the power of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring life out of death, to bring healing. In conclusion, I want to share a hymn with you. I'm not going to sing it. If I sang it, I'd lose one. I'd lose you pretty fast. <laughs> but uh, Fanny Crosby was blind all her life. But she wrote many of these wonderful hymns. Here it is. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell how the angels in chorus sang as they welcomed his birth. Glory to God in the highest, peace and good tidings to earth. Fasting alone in the desert, tell of the days that were our past. How for our sins he was tempted, yet was triumphant at last. Tell of the years of his labor, tell of the sorrow he bore. He was despised and afflicted, homeless, rejected and poor. Tell of the cross where they nailed him, writhing in anguish and pain. Tell of the grace, the grave where they laid him. Tell how he liveth again. Love in that story so tender. Love in that story so tender. Clearer than ever I see. Stay, let me weep with you, whisper. Love paid the ransom for me. Tell how he's gone to heaven, up to the right hand of God, how he is there interceding while on this earth we must trod. Tell of the sweet Holy Spirit he has poured out from above. Tell how he's coming in glory for all the saints of his love. We who are his will one day reflect the glory of God in his you see, he's going to transform us. One day we will be glorified with the nature of Christ. We will no longer be subject to sin. We will be presented to God blameless and faultless before the throne. What a wonderful redemption that is. And throughout eternity we will discover more and more wonderful things about the glory of God. May his glory be a part of our experience. Let me pray. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your glory. We thank you, Lord, that we pray that we may glorify you with our lives. Lord, bless us with your presence. Speak to your servants. And if there are those here who have eyes but they don't see, bring healing to them. May they see the glory of God and accept the Lord Jesus as their Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.